0: forever dog comic books, comic time writers and artists are on the line they make a splash as a comic's red and take us on a trip behind the spread watch out for comic book commentary Uh spinning a winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea, narrative character visual tricks and onomatopoeia Uh uh-huh it's comic book commentary Hi, this is Chris Mancini for um, Comic Book Commentary on the Forever Dog Podcast Network and um, also presented by Ben Blacker. Thank you, Ben, for the opportunity to talk about my book Long Ago and Far Away. This is a comedy fantasy comic book that is currently on Comixology, um, serialized into eight issues. I'm going to be talking about um, issue seven and eight. Eight, uh, since the series is just wrapping up and uh, everything kind of comes to a conclusion in these two issues. Uh, just a little background: uh, I this this is a story that's kind of been with me for a really long time, and I grew up reading fantasy, and I just could not get enough. Everything from Narnia to Lord of the Rings to uh, the Shannara Chronicles, everything I could get my hands on that was fantasy: Robert E. Howard, Conan, Call the Conqueror, all of them. I just read and red and red and red. <laughs> And what always struck me was the story that of the kids from our world that would go into the fantasy world and save the day. The Narnia uh, stories in particular really resonated with me. So I would always think that what happened to these kids when they would grow up? Like, what if one saved the day from the evil witch queen and came back to our world, now he's 30, runs a comic book store, and he's a jerk, and then he has to go back in that world again as an adult. So that was the idea that kind of... uh, Uh, Germinated for a while in my head And then it came out as long ago and far away And it is uh, I created and wrote it Uh, Fernando Pinto is the amazing artist Who did the art and the colors and Troy Petrie and David Lamphere did the lettering along with the larger world studios with the book design and production and it was edited by Brendan Wright and uh, produced, well, all right, published, I'm already seeing it as a show, as it was published by SBI Press and, um, uh, and it is, like I said, it's eight digital issues. I'm going to be talking about issues seven and eight. Now, in, in issue seven, let me just jump right into it. We see our heroes. They are um, going towards the Witch, Queen, Witch, Witch Queen's cat. Wow, can't even say that five times fast. Witch Queen's Castle. And they're on their riding griffins and their dragons, and they're getting into, uh, they're trying to get there surreptitiously so they're not spotted. And this is, a lot of has happened already in the book. You know, Jason has um, made that turn from, you know being the reluctant hero. I mean, not only did he resist the call to action in the story, he hung up on the call to action in the story. He was trying to regain his um his lost his lost heroic nature, but didn't quite work out. He was afraid and his friends stepped up even when he didn't. But then when they were in danger, he stepped up and did save them, defeated the Black Knight, Lord Montalban, and they're all headed towards the Witch Queen's castle to get the Sword of Ages back to save Elvenwood. But here's the thing. As we start this chapter, we realize, has Jason fully made this turn or is he just barely reluctantly making this turn? And I really wanted it to be um, to have the reader suspicious starting this chapter. Like, well, yeah, he came back. He saved them from the icy wastes. He defeated the um, evil knight. But is has he really changed in his heart? Has he really changed? Has he made that arc and that transition? And um, the answer, as you'll see, is not quite yet. So um, here we see on the first page, uh, Gorinthal, the naked wise man, has created a distraction some Mist, and they're able to go through a secret passage that Lord Montalban has uh, discovered um, uh, through a little um, uh, a brick in the wall. And the art from Fernando Pinto just jumps and pops off the page. It's colorful, it's fun, and it just really uh, brings the story to life. It's interesting when I first saw Fernando's art when he was um, creating this. It really felt like, oh my gosh, this is jumping out of my head and onto the page. It's this is how these characters wanted to look. This is how they wanted to be. This is how they wanted to act. And now it's it's in front of me. It's like when you make a um, a TV show or a film and you, you know, you start with the script and then when you see it actually come to life, there's no feeling quite like that. And I I felt that immediately as when Fernando started turning in uh, art pages. So we see uh, Lord Montalbond is kind of leading the way. He knows the castle in and out and he's telling everyone pretty much to be quiet. And of course, Phil hits the armor, knocks all the armor over and then even one even goes through a window. So he could not have possibly made more noise. And we have the, Uh, We we have uh, the alarm sounding and then they're surrounded. So what I wanted to convey here is that even though all the heroes are together, there's even more of them now, now that uh, Lord Montalban has um, uh, switched sides, I still wanted to give that sense of, well, that's good, but something's not quite right. We haven't really gotten to the heart of the matter and the heart of the uh, problem as far as what's killing Elf and what... So the Witch Queen catches them and we see that she's still having um, trouble with her health. She's collapsing. And we soon learn from the Gurinthal the wise man, that her health is related to the death of Elvenwood. And then we see that she is not the one causing Elvenwood to die. And that becomes as a revelation to all of them, including her. And it goes back to the The idea, the ideas in other fantasy stories, like, uh, like the never ending story where everything is related in the world. And even back to ancient religions and philosophy, the connection that everything is connected. If one thing is sick, it permeates everything. Then everything becomes sick. There's an underlying rot at the core, um, instead of just a villain to uh, be vanquished. And we still haven't figured out what that underlying rot is yet. And uh, Gorinthal says, Look, everyone's gotta help out with this. And, you know, even though the Witch Queen says she didn't do it, that uh Gorinthal says, Well, even though you didn't do it, everyone has to step up and help out. And this is where Jason was like, What? What what are you talking about? Why why do I have to uh uh why do I have to help? Why do I have to ask the witch queen for help and you know, this is a great moment for the for Nexus saying like, "What was that? I, I can't quite hear you. Uh, you. Are you sure you need uh, you need help?" And one of the things that I love about Fernando's art is that I wanted these revelations to be visual as well as in the dialogue. So you'll see a lot of like um, color bursts as there's laughter, disbelief, and ultimately then understanding of what needs to be done. And, uh, then of course there's, there's jokes peppered in there for sure. So we all get back to the, uh, the old world garden and the old world tree and the, um, the, the silver castle and the elves are of course suspicious, but as we see the world is dying. The heart of the tree is, is, uh, the heart of the world. So that's going to be the last thing to go. So this is where we also see the theme of everything being connected again when we add up, you know, living, dead, um, evil, good. Everything that's part of this world will either live or die together. And this is a parallel that I wanted to make for um, everything, pretty much. It's, uh, you know, there's no... Um, No man, no nation, nothing is an island. Everything relates to everything else and everything, um, affects everything else. It's, uh, you know, you you always, we always, uh, laugh about the movies with chaos theory and the butterfly effect. But ultimately there is a lot of truth in, you know, what these theories are. It's, um, everything is connected and everything can affect everything else. So if there's a rod underneath, guess what? It doesn't matter. Good, bad, evil. You think you're right. You think you're wrong. It doesn't matter. Everything dies and, or everything survives together. So as we see the different, um, Factions of Elvenwood all come together around the tree. Um, Gorinthal starts the ceremony to heal the tree. And then a very large um, uh, opening and chasm opens up inside the tree. And Jason knows instinctively he's the one that has to go. And he has to go there alone. He has to go to the heart of the world, the heart of the tree, and find out what's killing Elvenwood. And as he goes down below into these caverns uh, under the tree, he sees torches, and clearly it's a lot bigger uh, on the inside than it is on the outside, a little bit of uh, TARDIS action in there. Um, he's going down and down the corridors, there's torches, and we're, I, I wanted to get a sense of the unknown, the sense, the throughout the book there's a sense of an adventure, but at this particular moment, I really wanted it to be um, an unknown. Like, what's going on? What's going to happen? What's he going to find down there? And then the big reveal as he sees this, um, uh, the, you know, broken furniture and this, um, you know, horrible, dilapidated cavern and dead and broken roots above him. And then we see the reveal that it's his younger self. It's young Jason that's trapped underneath here in this cavern and then we learn that he's actually the one destroying elfin and this comes as quite of a shock to uh, older jason he's like well wait, i'm not the one destroying everyone like oh no you are and we get into the conversations of it's like well how can you be be me i left and it's like well i'm not all of you i'm the part of you that you left behind and what that part is is everything from childhood wonder to the um, the drive to succeed and also that respect and compassion for others in the world. But since he's been trapped in that cavern for so long, all of those good qualities that Jason left behind in that and Elvenwood have twisted and become dark. And the only way that he could get Jason's attention again was to start destroying the world. And every time he breaks a root, another part of the world dies. So, and then one of my favorite parts is that uh, when they start fighting, you know, it's always fun to have characters called out on their bullshit. But it's even more fun if the character is themselves calling them out on their bullshit. (laughs) Um, So, a fight is going to start, and then um, young Jason yells, one of us has to die. So... The implication is that it's, it is going to be a fight to the death, and I want the reader to immediately assume uh, that. Well, wait—is that then he's going to have to kill his younger self to? Evolve? What's how is this going to play out? So I really wanted that drama and that tension there of what is actually going to happen because the current path in any direction is unsustainable and that's one of the the truisms of our lives it's you know we're on when we're on a spiraling path uh, especially uh, downwards it's something has to break something has to change for us to take that step and go back upward towards the light and whether that's a change in ourselves whether that's a change that other people help with or a combination of of, of those two things, um, it has to happen and it can't happen in a vacuum. And it's the only way that we can, um, evolve and grow as people. So they st- he starts calling them out on his bullshit as they're fighting and all of the horrible things he's done in both worlds. And now this is the part where, um, all of the asshole behavior, all of the very, very specific things that I put in the script comes to a head. And I wanted it to be that arc in the the entire story. And I'm hoping that people don't get too sick of his bullshit before they get to this reveal. I'm like, ah, I don't like the guy. So why would I? I'm, I'm stopping at issue three. No, it's deliberate. You know, uh, I, I'm. if you're listening to this, you probably kept going. So thank you. And then we have um, ultimately... The fight over and over and over, and then Jason finally, finally um, starts to understand all of the shitty things that he's done. And one of the things that finally breaks him down is that Jason just says, look at me, look at your younger self. And one of the things that I wanted to, to be really, really important is that we see an older version of Jason look at a younger version of Jason and see someone who was full of hope, full of life, full of ambition, and uh, full of optimism. Because as adults, those are the first things that kind of go <laughs> as we go through life as adults. And uh, I really wanted to make the point that those things are still there, You just have to look for them and you have to see them in yourself and you don't have to go into a cavern in another world to find them. They're, they're there with you all along. So we see all of the possible Jasons that he could have been. And one of the great things that Fernando did, I, and I, I kind of said like, look, just, you know, go crazy. Here's what I want you to do. And I said, um, um, make it a lot of different choices and picks of like what his life could be like, whether it's in Elvenwood, whether it's home and there's pictures of him with kids, there's pictures of him eating chips and there's all different um, options and different things that uh, we do in our lives. And all of these changes and choices, you know, affect us. So what we need to do is make those choices and, um, uh, and make sure they are positive ones. So, and this is where Jason basically breaks down and realizes that he did not make positive choices, not for a very long time. And it stings even more because he sees the potential of what he could have been and what he was and what, how he had become. So that's what finally breaks him down. And he realizes what needs to be done. And in this moment that he realizes what needs to be done, he makes that choice. He takes responsibility for his actions and what he's done. And he realizes at the, you know, at the end of the the page here, there's only one route left. And Jason realizes it's my fault. It's all my fault. And then he finally blocks the strike uh, for the last route. And this is where it gets really um, uh, touch and go because you're wondering, well, if they're fighting, still one of them has to die. Is he still going to have to kill his younger self? and this is where he knocks him down he has the sword pointed at his chest and older jason realizes that uh this is it and younger jason's like what are you waiting for do it um and older jason understands He understands that not only uh, does he take responsibility for his actions, not only does he understand what's happened to him, but he also understands even though those things that he's done and those poor choices that he's made, there is still hope. There is still future. There is still, um, time and, you know, optimism to turn everything around. And that's what he picks at the end. And I remember, um, writing this seg- this section in this segment over and over and over again to get it just right, to get the pacing right, to get the dialogue right, to get the idea right, because I didn't want... Th- this is one of the parts in the story, I didn't want it to be vague. I wanted it to be very clear as to what was going on. Um, there's a couple of jokes in here to, to keep it lighter, but I really wanted it to be clear that this was a hopeful, optimistic um, change and ending for this, uh, chapter and for Jason's life, because it's a rebirth. You know, it's, um, no matter how badly you may have screwed up or how many mistakes you may have made, there's always time and hope for change. There's always time to make things better. There's always a chance to do the right thing. And, um, the, the point is that you make the right choice and you do that. And it doesn't matter that you may have made some mistakes along the way. You know, there's always a chance for course correction in all of our lives. So uh, one of the uh, visual aspects I wanted to do is to see the physical change in Jason and where he is all of a sudden he's what young Jason would look like all grown up. Had he chosen that path of uh, her- um, uh, hero heroism? Uh, anyway, <laughs> Um Heroic action, perhaps, Um, chose the hero's path. Anyway, you get the point. Uh, Had he chosen um, the right path the entire time. So that's what um, if we took the young Jason from the beginning and, and, and Jason hadn't made, you know, a lot of wrong choices, this is what he would have looked like. Uh, moving forward and growing up, and it, it's not necessarily about his physique or his um, his body. It was. It's more importantly, uh, I thought it was really, really important with his face, with his expression, because. Pessimistic people and optimistic people uh, look very different, and you can kind of, even if you've never met them, you can kind of catch them and see across the room which is which. And I, this is the um, visual change as far as the drawing goes that I really wanted to be clear about. And as you can see, there's a brightness to these panels. There's not only it's not only in his face, but um, there's the magic light that's coming off of the sword. But it's not just there. It's really um, how the colors and how the shading, how everything pops when we see this change in Jason. Uh, The roots are healed. The roots um, uh, help him back up through the tree. And then we see a great panel of how Elvenwood is becoming restored. We see um, trees and flowers blooming and uh, water uh, coming back to a stream. And then we see clouds dissipate and a a bright sun uh, shining down. So, and that is the, um, that is the end of chapter seven. So now we're going to start chapter eight because we, uh, we still have the witch queen to deal with, you know, just because Jason has, uh, you know, has found himself and, 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 you know, got his, uh, got his shit together in the fantasy land. That doesn't mean all the problems are solved. So, but this is where we switch back from in chapter eight, from a, um, journey um, through ourselves from a, an internal journey that Jason's going and how it manifests then as the external journey through the classic and traditional um, fantasy tropes of all of the fairy tales and stories that we grew up with. I thought it was really important to keep those things combined and together and to switch back and forth from them um, on the fly as I tried to do throughout the script. But this is where I found it most um, um uh, I've I found it that this is where I really wanted to make it specific as far as like this is the internal struggle. Now that that has been um, mostly resolved, um, now we go back to the external struggle, and they're all related. The way the health of the land was related to the the health of all the inhabitants. Um, this is how the health of Jason's um, psyche is also very much related to the health of the land as well. So Jason comes out, he's fully healed. He's the hero. He always needed to be. The always, uh, he always should have been. And you can see the brightness in his face and in these panels at the beginning of chapter eight, the brightness in Marla's face and even Phil, the elves. Everything looks different. Everything's brighter. Everything, um, doesn't kind of have that air of um, um, kind of like like uh, wow, uh, I should have written this down. The <laughs> doesn't have um, kind of that air of malaise that uh, would always permeate Jason's life in in or out of Elvenwood. There's an energy to every panel that Fernando put in now as we um, launch into the final battle. And now one of the things that happens is if everything gets restored, that means the Witch Queen's power, Nexus, Nexus' power, will also be restored. And that doesn't mean she doesn't still want the sword. That's still her MacGuffin. So she um, brought with her some ground goblins that were hiding in the, in the ground, and now they're coming up to attack everybody, but as you can see there is a very very different look on Jason's face this time and he is ready for this fight he's ready for it and uh, I told uh, Fernando as this fight began like you know give me a classic uh, Marvel you know versus cover in that panel really when there's you know a hundred villains and a hundred heroes with the X-Men and everybody and he delivered I love this panel up, uh, up at the top where it's all the good guys on the left bad guys on the right and they're about to um, clash. And it's just classic uh, comic book. And I really wanted to put that in there for sure. So we see everybody's kind of fighting in their own way. And um, the good guys are definitely have a much larger advantage at this time. And then we kind of get into the reconciliation of Jason and Marla as they're talking to each other and how they're talking about their feelings. And um, Jason's pretty much admitting that he's kind of been a dick to her. And um, one of the things that I did here is that we actually changed some of the dialogue. And sometimes when you do that after um, all the art is done, that's a little bit harder to put things um, to put things exactly where they need to be. But... Um, there was such a poignant moment here that I just took out a couple of jokes and added some some more poignant moments here because I thought it was so much more important. And this is, uh, I want to thank Brendan Wright for, for just kind of uh, guiding me to, as the editor, uh, of how we could actually make these moments a little more, um, um, uh, have a little more feeling to them instead of uh, just having a couple of jokes here and there. And it was really a... A heartfelt moment when Jason just finally says, you deserve better. You always have. And in those lines, he's saying everything that he hasn't said for the for years about how much he cares about her, how much of an asshole he's been, and uh, how much that he wants to make up for it. And I was trying to find the right words to convey all of those um feelings. And luckily, you know, Fernando's art just really lended, lended itself to that change in dialogue. And it's really, um, I'm very, I'm very happy with the way this came out, especially when at first that, like I said, it was just a couple of jokes about, um, going to New York that were, it was a more subtle way of, of him saying, look, I'm sorry, but I thought it was much more poignant to, for him to more admit that. You know he was just being an asshole for so long, and that she deserved better. Um, so they do their their much-awaited kiss as they're still fighting, and you know Phil is fighting, Neil is fighting, fighting Ryan is fighting, and they they're able to run off the goblins. But Nexus is not done, and she. Um, goes all maleficent in the next uh, the next couple panels. She turns into a giant dragon demon. Um, I wanted it to kind of be. I didn't want it to be a traditional dragon. I wanted it to be kind of like a mix of like a, uh, of, a of a dragon demon. And uh, Fernanda did a great job with that. I'm like, all right, make it make it like a little uh, a little different. And one of the uh, moments here is that we are talking a lot for, um, many, many pages and many, many issues about the power of creation of creating and growing and everything being connected. And the opposite of that is destruction. And to somebody like Nexus, the, the power of destruction would be the one true power because it doesn't matter what you build. I can always break it or get rid of it or, um, destroy it. And it's something that, um, Evil never understands, as you know, as as the, you know the old uh, fantasy adages are, is like you know, good expands, evil will turn in on itself, and that's ultimately what her fatal flaw is always going to be. So it's always about power and destruction, which is unsustainable in the long run. So, but Jason is ready for this fight, and he is ready. The riding Griffin helps him, gets his sword. Uh, they fly up, and he realizes that, um, well, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Um, she shoots a power blast at him. He blocks it with the sword. And But here's the thing that I wanted to make sure in the artwork and in the coloring. Even though uh, there is danger here, and you know this may have not been the, the best way to attack, um, Jason's face is still bright and hopeful. And even with the danger... Which is the the mark of a uh, of a true hero? That whole idea of no matter what the odds, you never give up. You always persevere and you always push forward. And he stabs her with the sword, and then she turns back into her form, and uh, you know. And we have the classic line of like, "I will return. This isn't over." And this is where Jason realizes that everything is part of this world: good, bad, um, beautiful, ugly. Um, living, dead, and that he says it wouldn't be Elvenwood without you. And he realizes that she is just as much a part of this world as everything else and everyone else. And um, her health and the health of the world are all related even though she's evil because she's a part of it. And she doesn't understand and she's like, "All right, well, alright then. And then she teleports away. So we have another great uh, um, celebratory moment and a great kiss from uh, with with Marla and Jason. And we have a lot of celebrating, and of course, Gruenthal throws his pants off again in celebration. No one really follows suit, but uh, they let him have his pantless moment. So then we're back to the throne room, and... The interesting thing here I wanted to make sure is that, uh, you know, the throne room looked the same because Ryan and Neela always had that hopeful uh, brightness to them. It was Jason that darkened everything when he showed up um, and wasn't the hero he once was. But now we see the brightness permeates um, both sides of the conversation and Jason prostrates himself before them and says, look, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And as wise as they are, you know, the elves... Uh, again, classic uh, um, Lord of the Rings and you know Hobbit in an older race that is wise beyond their years. And they don't see anything to forgive. They He was there when they needed them. And going through what ifs, which is also something that never helps in our own lives, is like well, you could always say, well, what if, what if I did that? What if, what if, what if? And, and it, it never goes anywhere. It never gets anywhere. And it's never helpful. And... That's one of the things the uh, the elves say. Ryan says, please, no more what ifs. And they realize that they were kind of saving each other. and But Jason realizes he was really the one that, that was saved. And then as we get back, we're ready to get back to their world. Um, Jason realizes that. You know, this is where he had belonged all along and this is where that, you know, he felt the most alive. Now he doesn't want to give the sword back. He actually realizes he has to because he has to take everything he's learned and every, all the growth that he's experienced back to his home, back to his world. But he's ready to do that. So they say goodbye, but it also feels very much like, well, you know, I this doesn't feel like goodbye forever. I have a feeling this is going to, we're going to, we're going to come back at some point. Um you know, sequels aside, it just, I wanted to give that feeling of, um, this is a world that you're always welcome in. This is a world that you can always escape to. This is always open to you. You can come back at any time because this is where you will, um, grow. This is where you'll feel, um, accepted. And this is where, you know you can truly feel um alive and learn and take these lessons back to you in your um, own world and your own life and that's one of the things that we've always learned from fairy tales there's lessons in every single fairy tale and you know we don't necessarily go into the goblin's castle but we you know we learn the lessons from them um from going up to a beanstalk and you know stealing a, a, a uh <laughs> <a laughs> Um, uh, golden eggs from a giant. <laughs> so, um, he goes back to the comic book store. Nobody wants to go back to work. And then I have basically, it's the same panel for these same page and somebody's getting angry that it's never open. And then I go on a, uh, a tirade about buying digital. <laughs> so, which is, um, if you're reading this on a tablet and listening to this is also kind of like postmodern and meta for right now, um, and then we have uh, a year later, which is, by the way, short in comic book times <laughs> to actually create a book and get it out there. And um, we have, we see the new lives. Phil and Marla have a great book out, Legends of Elvenwood, that's actually based on, you know, their adventures there. And um, Phil is the manager and it's something he's always wanted to do. And... I wanted to kind of create that parallel as if all these other writers like, like Tolkien and Gerard R. Martin, they went into Elvenwood and got their stories. This is what, what also happened to Jason and Marla. But then we also have a gauntlet hand comes down once it's signed. It's Lord Montalban who always was uh, interested in our world and also uh, very specifically television. So... Um, He wants to have it signed. And I put the classic comic book line in the, uh, as someone's asking for a signature away, Cretan. You only see the word Cretan in comic books. And uh, it's also one of my uh, favorite words. I mean, you could see it. You could see it in so many comic books. It's so awesome um, that there's just uh, certain lines or words that are literally only in comic books. My other favorite one is like, if I hadn't rolled with that punch, that blow would have taken my head off. I didn't have any room for that one in here, but I want to work it in somewhere at some point um, crazy black night talk and um we realize that they're doing great and Phil, uh, marla and jason have a um a great relationship now they're they're working together and you know they get their happily ever after um for now anyway <laughs> it's never it's never ever after but it is for now and then we see, uh, Lord Montalban as he is on the set of a, uh, a certain HBO show and, uh, learning what a prequel is. So which prequel he's going to be on out of the, I don't know, the eight or four, or eight they have in development over at HBO. I don't know, but, uh, um, it makes sense that that's where he would want to be with the, the glamor and the fame. And also he's very skilled at sword play. So that will also, um, he can do his, all his own stunts. It makes sense that he would, um, be on a game of Thrones, uh, prequel. So, and that, uh is the end but also I wanted to kind of leave it open like well there might be some uh, some more stories in fact when the uh the collected edition comes out that will actually come out um I'm not we don't have a release date for that yet there is one extra little five page story that will be in there an Elvin Wood story that will kind of um Hinted things to come, I will say, so you can check that out. But right now you could check out all of these issues uh, on Comixology. They're only $1.99 each, uh, 1 through 8, and you can get the entire uh, saga. So, and I wanted to... uh, Thank uh, you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you uh, enjoyed the book, and uh, you could check me out at chrisjmancinionline.com. That's my website, and also chrisjmancini on Twitter. If you want to uh, check me out um, and say hi, uh, that sounded weird. Okay, yeah, just say hi on uh, online. And I want to thank everyone um, involved in this book. Everyone from Fernando Pinto, the artist, to uh, Troy petrie the letter and david Lamphier for the production and everyone at, at starburns press really really appreciate it and uh, all of you guys for picking it up and um buying it much much appreciated um thanks again everybody um hope you enjoyed the book forever dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by brett Boehm, joe Silio, and alex ramsey engineered and mastered by alex Sarchet.